You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. You don't have to be a machine learning engineer to help make the future a smarter place. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas. Eric, the 60-40 portfolio is really the bedrock of investing. It has taken a ton of arrows, but we're going to spend some time today talking about maybe how the 60-40 can be even better. Yeah, there's a couple smart guys who I largely met on Twitter, but they have ETFs, invest in ETFs, have mutual funds. They're in the asset management world. But they have really done something that I think will find an audience, which is everybody loves 60-40. I mean, it's a smash hit. Look at any advisor portfolio. It's usually some derivative of a 60-40. And yet everybody is worried about the 60 and the 40 both falling at the same time, right? Because they both went up for the same time. So how do you hedge against that and yet keep your 60-40? Because no one wants to let go of that. Because every time people try to hedge, they've been they would lose money because the market rebounds almost every single time. Yet there could be a time when it doesn't. So how do you like have your cake and eat it too? And, and these these two guys have, have seemingly come up with a way to do this that involves a model portfolio, which is a whole nother trend. Model portfolios are very popular um, that invest in ETFs and mutual funds that tries to allow advisors to, to have it all. And um, it's really fascinating. It's called return stacking and I'm excited to dive into it. So joining us on this episode, Corey Hofstein, Newfound Research Chief Investment Officer, and Rodrigo Gordillo, Resolve President and Portfolio Manager. You can read more about their research at returnstacking.com or follow along at returnstacking.live. This time on Trillions, Return Stacking. Corey, Rodrigo, welcome to Trillions. Thank you so much for having us. Excited to be here. Thanks, Joel. Okay, Corey, I want to start with you. How did you guys find each other? Because you guys don't even like officially work together, right? Like this is kind of unusual to have two different firms that collaborate like this. Yeah, this is definitely a little weird to have two, in theory, competing asset managers work on research and launch product together. But this was really born out of a mutual respect for years and years and years Rodrigo and his team have been publishing research that I've read and really enjoyed. Uh, and I, I hope they would say the same about my team and the research that we've written. We ended up getting introduced to one another through that mutual respect for research and then ultimately found that we had a large number of clients in common or clients who would learn about one of us and ask about the other and ultimately found that a lot of the approaches we were taking in from a philosophical perspective, we're very much aligned, but from an actual product perspective, we're very complementary. And so it really made natural sense for us to work together on a lot of things. And Re Rodrigo, what, what was the, th the thing that they did that you were like, oh man, that's really good. I wish I ever thought of that. Oh my God. I mean, it, it's, you know what, like, at, like uh, Corey said, we constantly found ourselves talking about similar topics. And as you know, when you're talking about complex issues, 
you try to create a language around them when the average investor can understand. I've always been envious of, you know, we'll go out and we'll talk about um, ensemble methods for quantitative investing. And then Corey would say timing luck is a thing. So it's just a much, much better language often. Like I, I, where you look at, I'm like, that's this, we're talking about the same thing, but his language was just so much more beautiful and accessible than we uh, often, uh, often struggle with that at Resolve. So that's, I think that's what I've always been envious of Corey. He's a fantastic writer and communicator. Okay. So what's the product that you guys have, have come to market with? Calling it a product is interesting. What we, what we came up with, uh, and we started noodling this over the summer of 2021, was the concept of these new funds that had come out in the market, including our funds. So Corey has gone through a bit of evolution in, in the product lineup, even though he's been talking about capital efficiency for years and using capital efficiency for years in many respects. The product that he launched uh, or relaunched in uh, November 2020 was able to create, uh, give you some unique alphas and unique betas stacked on top of each other using capital efficiency. We had been doing that for 10 years in our fund, but it was tough for us to communicate that to the audience. And then we started seeing ETF providers like Wisdom Tree and Standpoint and not Standpoint, um, Simplify also come up with stacking ideas. And we're like, how do we how do we use these new products that have never existed before in the retail space? How do we put them together in such a way that we can get people to do better, to create much more robust portfolios? And uh, so we started thinking about it and we, we came up with, again, language, right? This idea, instead of calling it capital efficient or leverage or, or um, um, the structural alpha, we named it return stacking. And we did it in such a way that was the most accessible to the average investor, even foundations and small corporations. And so in the summer, we started noodling this and we decided to, to write a, a paper about the idea of stacking returns, how to improve a 60-40 portfolio through these new products and putting them together in unique ways. And that led to then a demand for some sort of solution, which led to this index that has a bunch of ETFs and mutual funds that we've structured together to create a profile that we're going to, I'm sure, talk about in the rest of this podcast. Let me jump in here um, and really get down to this stacking issue. And I want to go back to a couple of years with you, Corey. There's a product that was launched called NTSX, which is the Wisdom Tree US Efficient Core ETF. It used to be called the 9060. And that was born out of a Twitter conversation with you and a couple other people. And this was interesting to me at the time because um, I was on Twitter and I thought it was interesting. It was one of the first ETFs that was born out of people just talking about something. Wisdom Tree launched it. I was skeptical. I thought advisors just don't want to, they typically don't like to have all the asset classes together. They want to pick the pieces, but it's got a billion dollars and it's a success. And they've launched, uh, I think, other versions of it. Explain to me the 9060. What, and I think this is essentially what return stacking is. And this is one of the ETFs you use in your model. So I guess walk us through how this fund gets the exposure and how it gets the extra, how it stacks. And I think that will be a metaphor for the bigger model, right? Absolutely. So as you mentioned, this ETF that was launched by Wisdom Tree, uh, Jeremy Schwartz at Wisdom Tree was really the driver behind that, was born out of a conversation that was taking place on Twitter between me and two actually anonymous Twitter accounts, non-related sense. 
Lawrence, who has unfortunately since passed away, and another Twitter user named Jake. And Jeremy saw it and thought it was a really unique, innovative idea and was able to breathe life into it. The core concept is to take a 60-40 portfolio and lever it up 1.5 times. And that's going to give you a 90-60. Now, how is that done in practice? Well, what happens is for every dollar you invest in the fund, the fund is going to take 90 cents and invest it in the S&P 500. And it's going to leave 10 cents aside in cash or cash equivalents, very short-term US treasuries, for example, as collateral to then buy a ladder of US treasury futures. It's going to be a blend of two-year, five-year, 10-year, and 20-plus-year US treasury futures, 15% in each, and that'll give you 60% notional exposure. So you get 90 in the S&P plus 60 using treasury futures. Now, we could stop there and say, well, that is stacking. What we've done is we've stacked treasury returns on top of equity returns, which may or may not be just a very interesting solution as an alternative to someone who's very equity heavy. Uh, Clifford Asnes at AQR wrote a paper about 25, 30 years ago called Why Not Just 100% Equities? And he showed actually a levered 60-40 over the long run does much better than just equities. Uh, Jeremy Schwartz recently published an update to that for 25 plus years about a sample. But I think where this gets really interesting is to say, let's actually not use it as an alternative to equities. Let's use it as an alternative to a 60-40. And by that, I mean, if I just invest 66% of my capital in this levered 60-40, then I get equivalent exposure to what investing 100% of my capital in a 60-40 would have given me but I'm left with 33% of my capital left over that I can do whatever I want with. And then it becomes a very interesting question of what do you do with that leftover capital, which then in effect is going to be a return stacked on top of that 60-40 return profile. So we're able to retain the 60-40 that everyone wants and loves, but use a bunch of leftover capital to potentially stack something diversifying and return generating on top. So this fund is... And we're going to get to the bigger model first, but this fund essentially uh, is up about seventy three percent since launching. Would you would you say it's would you compare this to a balance like a balanced fund or the S and P? What's the right benchmark here? Well, my guess is it's probably benchmarked to the S and P. I would argue that's not a great benchmark. The reason I love the phrase "return stacking," which I have to give all credit to Rodrigo. For coming up with, though I do plan over time to uh, whitewash history and take that from him. Actually, uh, on the term, I, I wrote this book back in the day called The Institutional ETF Toolbox, which is available on Amazon, <laughs> just in case you're curious. <laughs> anyway, I interviewed some institutions and I think they refer to this as portable alpha. So are you sort of rebranding it or is there a difference between portable alpha and return stacking? There's a slight difference. Um, Portable alpha really, from an institutional perspective back in the 2008 era, was all about stacking alpha on top of your exposure. So if you look at something like an NTSX, which is just S&P beta plus bond beta, well, that's not really portable alpha. I might call that portable beta, right? You're, you're porting beta on top of beta. There's no alpha there. The return stacking concept is more generic than portable alpha 
because it's a question of what do you do with the extra capital you free up, that capital efficiency you create. And you could go out and buy alpha strategies, which then it does, I think, become very similar to portable alpha. But a lot of the nuance comes into how are you actually generating that capital efficiency? Uh, how much does it cost you? Where is it coming from? And that's sort of a, a difference in terms of how portable alpha used to work versus what we're doing here. Everything that Corey has just talked about has allowed an investor to increase portfolio real estate, right? An institutional investor has a, a vast, a wide uh, expanse of real estate that they could create. They get $100, they could invest $1,000 if they want to through derivatives, through borrowing and the like. Retail investors, retail advisors, a lot of small pensions and institutions are stuck with 100 cents on the dollar. You give them $100, they only have that to spend. And that's because they don't necessarily have access to leverage, have access to derivatives, has the expertise to do it, don't want to do it. All of a sudden in the last two years with products like ours and NTSX, you now are able to buy instead of, you want 60-40, you only have to spend $67 of your 100 to get 60-40 returns for the year. And now you've created $33 of portfolio real estate, right? And what, the reason we started with return stacking, the language stack returns, is that if you do it right, if you choose the right thing to put onto your 33%, you're getting, you're going to get that 60-40 return. And whatever you make in that extra $33, that return is going to stack on top the 60-40. So this, the, the paper is, is about you know, how to stack returns in a low return environment. Because I think that's what everybody's worried about in the 60-40. Like Eric said, where they're terrified of getting away. You know, they, they, they know that it might be low returns in the future for 60-40. They know there might be higher correlations, but they're terrified of moving away from it. This, this allows investors to both have their cake and eat it too through stacking something thoughtful on top, right? This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so I want to talk about the $33 a little bit more. But before we do that, let's just talk about the, the bigger model because you're, you're adding a few other things into that, right? Correct. Yeah. So what are those and how, do, how does it all work? Yeah. So the idea, first, of all, you, the paper goes through a simple example like we just discussed, right? But then we say, look, very few investors will actually buy a single ETF 
and then um, have that be their portfolio and then stack, you know, whatever they want to do on that 33%. But time out real quick. And let's just hone in on that. This is crucial because a lot of people ask me, why isn't there just one ETF for everything? Or, you know, and, or why don't asset allocation, which holds like mm-hmm. or balanced ETFs, or why aren't they more popular? And advisors just are, you were use the word terrified. They're terrified of having one line item that they want to have more in there. And so I guess just, just, I, I just want to stop there for one second and also address that. Cause I, Joel, you had that idea for why isn't there a whole enchilada ETF? Still a great it wouldn't idea. Sell. Yeah. Ironically, it probably wouldn't sell that much because advisors want to be the deciders. They want the pieces in there. Uh, so I'll pass it back to Rodrigo, who obviously is making the pieces. Well, this is this is from years of interacting with advisors, right? There's it's really tough to get through your compliance that you're going to put sixty six cents on the dollar in a single uh, service provider. It's just not a thing. And then from a optics perspective with clients, let's say you have a single company that has five beautiful ETFs, it's very rare to find the advisor that's okay with giving it all to a single provider. And so. You you certainly want to have manager diversity. You want to ha- you want to minimize the risk there from one single manager blowing up or not doing well. But if you're looking at return stacking and you only had one product to play with, it would be a problem. What we found, which was very refreshing, is that as you start digging in, you find that there were at the time of writing the paper, we found ten very clear return stacked funds, and and they were stacking different things. Some were stacking equity beta on top of uh, bond beta. Some were stacking SPY and then you know 50 cents of SPY and 100 cents of trend, managed futures trend. Another one was stacking global equities with managed futures trend. We were stacking global risk parity. And then on top of that, global macro, like rules-based global macro. Corey was active equity on top of active uh, bonds and tail protection wrapped around that. So all of a sudden, you start finding these really exciting products that you can now put together in a way that makes um, that creates an exposure of 60% equities, 40% bonds. And then what we stacked on top was 30 cents of systematic um, uh, trends. That's like managed futures trends or CTAs. And then another 30% of global macro or systematic global macro. And the difference between CTA and global macro they're both futures based. One does pure trend. The other one uses value factor, the momentum fa- the momentum or trend factor, the carry factor. Some use seasonality. Some use mean reversion. Right. So it's just a bit more and diversified. Let me jump in here. Mm-hmm. So uh, th- what what you just went over was hedge fund strategies or alts, and they're called alts because they're alternative to stocks and bonds, mm-hmm. and they don't have a they have very low correlation to the sixty forty exactly. That category, there are ETFs in that category, but they've been totally ignored because they just don't really do much compared to stocks and bonds in the last 10 years. But I think there is a knowledge that they, when the market does sell off, those hedge fund-ish kind of strategies rise to the top. They tend to be the top performers when the, both the 60 and the 40 are down. I've seen it happen. It's only little windows because then the Fed steps in and everything goes up again. But is that why you're using your 33 cents on that instead of in the NTSX situation, more treasuries? Because you're like, we already have that covered. Now let's get some alts in there just in case the world goes to hell. That will help you on the protection side. That's the idea here, just to try to simplify it. You hit the nail on the head that 
at the end of the day, there are these really interesting and attractive alternative strategies from a diversification perspective. The problem is most allocators have been stuck with this either or problem over the last decade, that to introduce these diversifiers, they have to sell stocks or bonds. So you look at something like managed futures, which had a total return, the SockGen managed futures CTA index, I think had a total return of between 20 and 25% for the entire last decade. Right. So if you sold stocks or bonds to buy managed futures, you were very disappointed in the total return. But it is a phenomenal diversifier historically, particularly during periods of inflation fear. So if you can have your 60-40 and then stack those extra managed futures or alternative returns on top, not only are you potentially earning the extra return, but you are hopefully making your portfolio more resilient by adding a diversifier that particularly attacks what a 60-40 portfolio is weak to, which is inflation risk that tends to cause stock and bond correlations uh, to turn positive. Okay, I like this, although I will just question the fact that, you know, 60, 40 plus 33 plus all this other stuff does not equal 100. So there's some really basic math that I want to take you guys up on, but <laughs> I, that, that's a joke. But I do want to just talk about this 33 and sort of like the, the competition there, because it sounds like there's a lot of very technical things that are happening there that a normal retail investor isn't going to understand you're you're probably catering to an advisor more than anything there and and I'm also just you know genuinely curious here like how are you supposed to figure out what you're supposed to do with that 33 I I mean there right. there's a probably a version of that that I should put in crypto even right sure look there's the, the it's not necessarily I mean the index is meant to be prescriptive but the paper is not right so what you do with that 33 cents a lot of it has to do with your own values right for example if you're a value manager, if you truly believe in buying cheap, then all this time, you know, if you're like Warren Buffett that leaves some cash on the sidelines and waits for the opportunities, you can't do that as an advisor. Investors have a hard time staying in cash until value comes up again, they can snatch things up. You know, few people can actually accomplish that. But again, having your cake and eating it too, now you get full exposure to 60-40 by only investing 67 cents. You have $33 that's on the sidelines. March 2020 happens. If you're a value guy, you can you can pick up a lot of cheap stocks, right? And because you can buy, you're really, like you said, adding it, it's, you're getting 100 cents plus another 33 cents. So 133% exposure, 33 cents were in cash. Now you've invested it in March 19th, 2020. You've bought all the cheap stocks. You've stacked a bunch of returns. So that's one way of return stacking, right? The problem is that once you're there, now you're exposed not... 60 40 but you're now exposed 90 40 you're you're very very heavily into equities and that becomes a long-term problem in our view right so what we tend to espouse and lean on if what are you going to do with that 33 you want to do things that can thrive when equities and bonds don't thrive and i think you guys i was just listening to a podcast of yours with gina martin adams your, your boss eric uh, and she was talking about, you guys talked about a bunch of in, very interesting things, one of which was inflation and the fact that when we've seen periods of inflation and rising rates, we've seen bonds and equities not only lose money, but lose money at the same time. Their correlations went up. So what does well? What can you do for that other 33%? One of the things you could explore is a diversified commodity index. 
right? Another thing you could explore are these CTAs and global macro funds that can both make money in inflation markets. And then when the inevitable Fed comes to break the back of inflation, it can also profit from downward deflation, which they did beautifully in the 2000s, right? So that's, that's kind of what that's some of the things that you can do with that 33 cents. It would be, it depends on just how, I guess, your tolerance for risk, but it seems to me it would be kind of uh, dangerous to put it into something like crypto, which has sort of acts like a high beta stock. I agree. If that goes down, then you're down, then you're all, all 133 is down, um, where you want the 33 largely to offset the potential for the 60, 40 going down, I would guess, but I guess you could go all out and add on to from, because from my I, I values, somebody, that would be my preference, but everybody has right. a different set of values, right? I think, that, I think when someone hears this, they go, well, you're just leveraged and that's, we know how that ends. But I think that's the main point is if you use your leverage to add on more of the same thing you just bought, clearly that's where it gets dangerous. But if you buy something that can offset or work against uh, or go up when the other parts go down, that seems like a responsible way to leverage, which I could see appealing to advisors who, who are probably worried about those kind of things. I mean, there's a lot of target outcome ETFs that become popular for the same reason. They sculpt your returns. They give you some sleep at night feeling because they use uh, options in a certain way to limit your downside. People are very quick to point out that almost every major financial catastrophe both globally as well as every hedge fund that's blown up has been due to leverage, which is pretty much true, but it's also been due to concentrated leverage, right? There's a very big difference between diversified leverage and concentrated leverage, right? If I said, let's take this 60-40 and layer on top, very, very short-term, very high-quality investment-grade bonds... That's very different than saying, let's take this 60-40 and layer on top 33 cents of Bitcoin and Ethereum. Right? Those return profiles are going to be very different and the risk you're taking is different, even though the quote-unquote notional leverage, the extra 33 cents is the same. And so again, we think it's really crucial when you're taking this return stacking concept and considering it to think about what are you trying to stack on top of your portfolio. And for us, it was really important in the paper to consider okay, everyone we know is already starting with the 60-40 basis. How can we make sure we're not just tacking on more risk? How can we really try to attack the core risks facing a 60-40 today? How can we help reduce that risk? And let me give you a perfect contemporaneous example. For year to date, I was just looking it up right now. So year to date, S&P is down four, four and a half percent, right? The supposed protective layer, which is uh, sovereign U.S. Treasuries, the TLT is down around 6%. So both equities and bonds are down together, much like Gina had said might happen in an inflationary regime. What is DBC doing? The Deutsche Bank Commodity Index Fund, Direxion, I think it is. Um, it's up 6%, right? What are managed futures funds doing? They're up a couple of percent. This is exactly the type of diversification you need to protect against the blind spots at 60-40. Um, so anyway, these are, these are the reasons that it's, it, for us, it's, it's a timely period for us to be discussing this stacking concept. It just allows clients to not have to, uh, if we're wrong, if Corey and I, or any, any Gina is wrong about our, our future predictions of correlation of equities and bonds, then they can get their 60, 40 return. And if we're right, they can protect some of that. 
one of the, one of the things is that you're sort of optimized for these moments of time where things might move in lockstep, right? So how long of a window does this approach last for? How long of a window does this approach, as in your your view or you're positing that these events like we've seen in the last month are few and far between? Correct. And so, you know, how, how much of a benefit is it really? Um, well, this is assuming, this is again, I'm just going back to Gina's conversation. You think this is few and far between. But in fact, if you look back in the 70s, bonds and equities were highly correlated most of the time for over a decade, right? So just because we haven't seen that in a rising rate environment, in a falling rate environment, doesn't mean we are not going to see it for a decade or more in the future. Um, so, Corey, I don't know if you have anything to add to the correlation between bonds and equities or not. Yeah, let's, let's assume we're wrong. That's always the best place to go when you're an asset manager. You should probably assume that whatever narrative you're telling is wrong. What I would point to is in the last decade, right, where this certainly wasn't true, I mentioned that CTAs, which dramatically underperformed stocks and bonds, still had a positive return, right? So let's say we're wrong and the next decade is just like the last and stocks and bonds have negative correlations. It's a wonderful diversifier. Well, if we stack commodity trend advisors, managed futures on top of the 60-40, it's still hopefully not a problem because that tends to exhibit an absolute return profile. It's actually one of the reasons in the paper we didn't stack raw commodities. Because what you find is that while commodities tend to do well during periods of high inflation shocks, they tend to do quite poorly during disinflationary periods. And so what we wanted to stack on top was something a little bit more absolute return. So if that things do revert back to how they were over the last decade, and these fears about inflation go away and correlations go back to being negative and nice and diversification between stocks and bonds, what we're stacking on top is hopefully not a drag on the portfolio. So right. to your point, Joel, it, it's it's ultimately hopefully not an issue either way. What we're trying to stack on top is supposed to be absolute return. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The drag issue is that's what's, there's been a bunch of downside hedged ETFs. Some have used a little VIX futures, which can be awesome when VIX is up, but man, they drag. 
and they really just corrode your returns. P hedge is the ETF. I mean, it was underperforming the S and P by like thirty percent over like three or four years because of that that drag. Um, I so I this is I think what also makes the alts probably the sweet spot, right? Because I also was wondering why not just use your thirty three percent for on TLT. I have noticed TLT, which is twenty year treasuries, has a real nice um, record of offsetting stock declines. But are you worried that even long dated treasuries could go down at some point too? Or um, I guess did you ever think about just using long dated treasuries instead of alts or adding some of that in there? Well, okay, I think Corey can speak to this better because that's kind of his uh, his first foray into this uh, return stacking uh, concept. So, Corey, why don't you take it, and then I have some thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think the big risk, Eric, for us when we're considering this return stacking concept is what are the core economic risks that a sixty forty already has. So, if we start to take that extra capital and allocate it to long dated treasuries you probably get a profile that's a little bit more balanced from a risk contribution between stocks and bonds, but you're still introducing a lot more of that inflation sensitivity risk, right? So again, talking year to date, we are seeing that equities and long dated treasuries are both down at the same time and exhibiting positive correlation to one another. So adding more treasuries to the portfolio doesn't really do anything to solve the potential inflation risk that's inherent in the 60-40 portfolio that's so popular. So if we go back and rewind the clock 20 years, that would have been a brilliant trade. But what we're trying to do is set us up today, not knowing what the future is going to look like, not having a crystal ball, and trying to develop the most resilient portfolio we can while still having that core 60-40 exposure that clients and allocators want. One thing is advisors... Uh, especially for the fee-based advisors, which is where they get a percentage of the assets. That swept over the country. Used to be they get a commission from the mutual fund. Now they get a percentage of fees. That's turned them all into like cost-obsessed people. They they That's why all the money goes to everything below 10 bips. Yeah. Here you have this portfolio. I would say it's probably all in at the level of maybe an active mutual fund back in the day. Like It looks like it might be 70 or 80 I, maybe I'm wrong there, but let's just say you need to now explain why they want to replace something that's 10 with that. And so you got, I think you have your hands full. Uh, your case is very compelling though. I guess, can you talk a little bit about how that's going? Yeah. I mean, let's go back to what the word return stacking means. If we're not stacking returns, it's not worth it, right? This is, this is the key thing. In the last decade, it has been very easy as a domestic advisor and investor to make money in the things that you are comfortable with and know. It is SPY and IEF or TLT, so bonds and equities, domestic have had a sharp ratio in the 99th percentile of its history. It is some of the best returns we've ever seen, ever. So when you look at your options, bonds and equities, you can get dirt cheap ETFs and the regulators are coming in and creating complex language that might maybe have forced advisors to do that. So I understand where everybody's coming from. What we're trying to get people to see is the next decade. The next decade is going to require something beyond domestic equities and bonds, in my opinion. You're going to have to deal with inflation. You're going to have to deal with inflation and deflation and back to reflation again. There's going to be a lot of volatility. For that, you need active management, which has been out of favor for 10 years. 
that active management that we are proposing goes on top of these uh, betas and stacked betas and stacked alphas need to provide enough value where after fees, the stack is still above 60-40. And so if you look at, if you read the paper, we take fees off of everything. You'll see that in most years from 1987 to today, the, the index or the approach stacks returns on top after fees, transaction costs, and slippage. The index does the same thing. You, I think we come in at 1.29 MER, right? Or ER, sorry, MER is a Canadian term, expense ratio. That seems like a lot. But then you look at the index and it's 60, 40 returns. And then on top of that, for the last three, for the last year and a bit, it's been three, 4% stacked on top in spite of those fees, right? So this is out of all the types of active management, this is the most straightforward. Do you care about your fees if the returns are being stacked every year? Right? I could be charged. What if I get an index and, and, and it averaged 5%? If the returns are above 60, 40, that's, that's all you care about. Right? So I think and, in this but, case, it's a lot more. Let me just stop cut. you here. For, for the equity part of the portfolio, you're using something equivalent to the SP, right? Isn't that the NTSX part? Well, yeah. Well, As in, yes, where NTSX is SP. But their fund this provides- This is active, but it's not what people think of where we're picking stocks. No. This is a whole different level of active. This is an asset allocation active. Well, you, got your, you, you have access to very, very cheap leverage. And that's the magic here. Let's start with that. What is different? NTSX provides us 150% exposure to a balanced fund. You can't, with the cheapest possible leverage you can get your hands on. Retail investors and advisors have not historically been able to get that. So that already is amazing uh, structural alpha, okay? And NTSX is 20 bips, which is, right. which is on the low side. It's on the low uh, side, for, right? Right. And then, but if you want that other protection, that active long short trend CTA, that active long short managed futures, that requires daily trading, a big team, reconciliation. You're not going to find very cheap exposure to those things, but we believe... That absolute return concept is important. And we found products that have the cheap SPY and then stack on top of that and that structural alpha stack on top of that, that, that trend and, uh, and um, active futures mandates. So it's a bit of both. But, and just real quick, again, just for anyone listening who thinks hedge fund, there's this sort of drumbeat of like how hedge funds can't beat the S&P, but you're bringing up absolute return. And for the institutional minded person, hedge funds are not it, it being the S&P really isn't what most of them do. So when you say hedge fund, you're thinking something has, a, uh, it, it hedges off a lot of the risk and, and ends up having like the same volatility as like, a, as like bonds, right? It's very low, right? In the ballpark of say, I don't know, maybe half of the S&P. Is that fair? Historically, that's, that's true. Um, I think and with, has zero, with, zero correlation. When you're looking at the managed futures, which have a unique profile, really like they are, I think they're a category apart from this hedge fund category. I think hedge funds are generally long, short equities where you're trying to hedge out the beta and just capture that differential alpha. And that will have very, very low correlation, very low correlation, very low volatility and single digit returns that you stack on top. When we talk about long, short CTAs and long, short systematic global macros, we're now like even in the ETFs available, we're looking at volatilities between eight and 12%, which is now similar to like a, 
you know, uh, 80, 20, sorry, uh, 50, 50 bond equity portfolio to 60, 40 bond equity portfolios, that type of level of risk. And that's crucial because you want volatility as long as it's lowly correlated. And, and from my point of view, managed futures and CTAs out of all the hedge funds out there are the least correlated long-term to a 60, 40 portfolio. We keep going back to this core concept of what are you stacking on top? What are you stacking on top? And what we're trying to stack on top are these absolute return alternatives that have historically been very disappointing when you have to sell equities to buy them, right? When you have to make this either or decision, the whole return stacking concept is about turning this into a conversation about saying and instead of or. We're saying, can we get the 60-40 and these hedge fund type exposures rather than 60-40 or the hedge fund? And I think in that sense, it, it totally changes the conversation. I do just want to make one really quick point about the fees. Two quick points. First, I will say with all the new products coming to market, again, if you read the paper, you can do this in a low fee way. It's just going to change what you can necessarily stack on top. Or you could do this with all ETFs, or you could do this with ETFs, mutual funds, and go out and buy hedge funds as a complement as well. You can take this concept and apply it to whatever fees you want. I think what is important, Eric, you talked about having your cake and eating it too with the 6040. I think of return stacking as taking the cake and putting some icing on top. Then the question is, how much of that icing does the fees ultimately erode? And as long as there's icing left over, I'm not sure it really matters that there are higher fees there. You just need to make sure that there's still icing there. Okay. So really interesting time to introduce this concept to people too. I'm, I'm curious, if we had you back on in the future, when are we going to know if you guys hit it? When are you going to know? Um, look, we've, the index has been, we, it goes back to November, 2020, uh, go to returnstacking.live to see the results. You know, it, it's there. I think year to date, we are stacking an extra 50 basis points on top. I think I personally, from, um, just from my macro view, which is always wrong. I think we're going to be in an inflationary volatility environment, which means 18 months of massive volatility, three to six months of downward uh, deflation. And you're going to have to navigate that in a way where bonds and equities are going to act very differently than they have in the past. And one thing I'll just, we've been talking about how problematic investing in, um, in alts and especially in managed futures have been for the last decade because of their single digit returns. From 2000 to 2011, the peak of the last commodity cycle, CTAs and managed futures were doing double digits every year. So the stacking goes way up in an environment like that. I would say if we're back in three years and my prediction comes true, we're going to be very, very much ahead. Worth mentioning, we've, we've talked about this paper throughout the conversation. You can find that at returnstacking.com. Rodrigo, where do you find, find more about the model? At returnstacking.live is where you can get to see it. And now I want to ask a question that we always ask at the end of Jillian's. What's your favorite ETF ticker other than your own? Favorite ETF ticker other than my own. Um, I am going to have to say TYA from Simplify because it just it does such a good job of, of, of increasing that portfolio real estate that everybody needs um, to do some of that return stack we got. Corey? Well, so I'm going to answer this two ways. One, 
what's my my favorite ETF is NTSX. That is hands down my favorite ETF that's ever been launched. It's a super simple concept, but I think it's got so much power. My favorite ETF ticker that's been launched has got to be the new one from Simplify CYA, which is their tail hedging, cover your assets, perhaps is the way we'll put it. <laughs> okay. All right. There you go. Corey, Rodrigo, thanks for joining us in Trillions. Thank you for having thanks us. Thanks for having us, guys. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. This episode of Trillions was produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcast. Bye. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.